0: section 54 of the mysteries of london volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by john brandon the mysteries of london volume three by george w m reynolds section 54 the fatal monday morning broke yellow heavily and gloomily and the lights stole or rather struggled by degrees into the convict's cell shortly before seven o'clock tom rain awoke and casting his eyes rapidly around they successively fell upon the turnkey who had sat up with him the still flickering lamp upon the common deal table the damp stone walls and the massive bars at the windows for an instant A cold shudder convulsed his frame as the conviction the appalling truth burst upon him that the horrors of his dreams were not to cease with the slumber that had given them birth but with knitting brow and compressed lip like a strong-minded man who endeavours to conceal the pain inflicted on him by a surgical operation of a dreadful nature he struggled with his emotions and when the governor and clergyman entered the dungeon they found him firm and resolute though not insolent nor reckless the chaplain offered to pray with him and he consented to join in devotion there was profound sincerity but no affectation no hypocrisy no passionate exclamation in the prayer which tom rain uttered extemporaneously as the clock chimed half past seven he arose from his knees saying i am now prepared to die but there was yet another half hour before him scarcely had the clock finished chiming when the door was opened and the earl of ellingham entered the cell heedless of the impression which his conduct might produce upon the prison authorities present Arthur rushed forward and threw himself into Rainford's arms, exclaiming, No, I had not wilfully abandoned you, Thomas. Just now I said that I was prepared to die, answered the convict, returning the embrace with congenial warmth. And now I may even add that I shall die contented. The time is too precious to waste in mere details, returned Arthur, or I would tell you... How I have been kept away from you by force, by a vile outrage. But you do not now believe that I was willingly absent, that I wantonly neglected you. No, no, exclaimed Rainford. I seek not an explanation, I require none. It is enough that you are here now at the last hour. The earl then related, In a few hurried words, the vain exertions he had made on the preceding evening on behalf of Rainford, who expressed his lively gratitude. Arthur next requested the governor to permit him to have a few minutes private conversation with the prisoner. But this favour could not be granted, and the earl dared not persist in his demand, as the chaplain hinted that the convict had bidden adieu to the affairs of this life and had but little time left for devotion. Thus was it that Arthur and Rainford had no opportunity of speaking together in private, although the former had something important to communicate, and the latter perceived that such was the fact. Arthur, said Tom, approaching close to his half-brother and speaking in a low, solemn tone, is there any hope? None on this side of the scaffold returned the earl with a significant glance as he dwelt on his words, and as he spoke, he took the prisoner's hand as if to wring it fervently. But Rainford felt something in the earl's palm, and instantly comprehended that it was an object which he was to take unnoticed by the gaol authorities. Then rapid as the lightning flash. He perceived a double meaning in the words on this side of the scaffold, because he knew that Arthur would not use those awful words, the scaffold, but would have said the tomb, had he not had some special profound motive. And Rainford did comprehend the hint, the hope conveyed, and though he thanked his half brother with a rapid, expressive glance, yet a sickly smile played upon his lip, indicative of the faintness of that hope so created. At the same instant, heavy footsteps were heard approaching the cell, and the chaplain said, in a solemn tone, The hour is almost come. Then Arthur once more threw himself into the prisoner's arms, and whispered rapidly in his ear, Keep the tube in your throat, and you will be saved. Rainford murmured an assent, and the brothers embraced, with a fervor which astonished those present, to whom their relationship was totally unknown. Arthur then tore himself from the cell, not for worlds, could he behold that horrible process termed the toilet. He had also another motive or quitting the dungeon before the last moment. This was to meet the sheriff of the county in the passage. And behold, in the corridor he encountered that functionary, the javelin men, and the under-sheriff, behind whom came the executioner and his assistant. The earl accosted the sheriff, with whom he was acquainted, and who was naturally surprised to meet the nobleman there drawing him aside arthur said in a hasty tone i have a favor a great favor to ask of you the convict is well connected and his friends demand the body to bury it decently the earnest prayer that i have to offer you on their behalf is that you will not prolong the feelings of shame and ignominy which they will experience during the time the corpse remains suspended my lord replied the sheriff the body shall be cut down at twenty minutes past eight and delivered over to the unhappy man's friends a thousand thanks said the earl pressing the sheriff's hand he then hurried away and the procession moved on to the cell immense was the crowd Gathered around the jail to witness the execution of the celebrated highwayman, who had been proved on his trial to be none other than the notorious Black Mask, who some years previously had performed the most extraordinary deeds of daring and audacity in the county of Hants. Yes, immense was the crowd, and not only did the living ocean inundate all the open spaces about the jail and all the thoroughfares leading thither, but it seemed to force its offshooting streams and channels up the very walls of the surrounding dwellings, so densely filled with faces were the open windows, even to the housetops. Near the front gate of the jail stood a black coach and a hearse, and concealed between the vehicles and the prison wall were the Earl of Ellingham, Dr. salle's and three of the noblemen's own men servants all muffled in black mourning cloaks and holding white handkerchiefs to their faces so as to hide their features as much as possible lord ellingham was convulsed with grief far far more than the convict himself did the generous-hearted nobleman suffer on this terrible morning he was benumbed with cold his body felt like a dead weight which his legs could scarcely sustain his tongue claved to the roof of his mouth a suffocating sensation oppressed him and he felt as if all the most frightful misfortunes had suddenly combined to fall with crushing burden on his own head the clock of st george's in the Borough began to strike eight the clock of the prison echoed those iron notes which sent upon the wing of the air the signal for death suddenly the hum of the multitudes ceased and an awful silence prevailed the earl and the physician knew by those signs that the convict had just appeared on the roof of the jail but from where they were stationed they could not command a view of the dreadful scene above and even if they had been differently placed lord ellingham at least would not have raised his eyes towards the fatal tree and now amidst that solemn silence a voice was heard the solemn deep-toned monotonous voice of the chaplain saying i am the resurrection and the life saith the lord he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. The voice ceased. A sudden sensation ran through the crowd like an electric shock, and the Earl of Ellingham groaned deeply, groaned in the bitterness of his spirit, for he knew that the drop had just fallen. Compose yourself, my dear friend, whispered the physician. FOR NOW IS THE TIME TO ARM YOURSELF WITH ALL YOUR ENERGIES. THANKS, DOCTOR. A THOUSAND THANKS FOR REMINDING ME OF MY DUTY, SAID THE EARL. BUT THIS IS MOST TRYING, MOST HORRIBLY TRYING. I HAVE LIVED A HUNDRED YEARS OF AGONY IN THE LAST FEW MINUTES. HOPE FOR THE BEST, MY DEAR EARL, REJOINED THE PHYSICIAN. DO YOU THINK THAT HE FULLY UNDERSTOOD YOU? HE DID. I am convinced of it, replied Arthur, anxious to argue himself out of all doubts as well as to convince his companion. He received the silver tube, and I saw him conceal it in his sleeve. But alas, we had no opportunity to speak alone. Though I had so much to say to him, so many explanations to give, such numerous questions to ask, I got, if if after all this plan should fail if that boy jacob will only follow my instructions to the very letter answered lascelles i do not despair of success oh he will he will returned the young nobleman as he glanced towards the hearse he is as intelligent as he is attached to my dear brother the railings in front of the jail kept the crowd at a considerable distance from the morning vehicles and thus the observations which passed between the earl and the physician were not heard by any save themselves and now how languidly how slowly passed the interval of twenty minutes during which the sheriff had stated that the body must remain suspended To the earl it seemed as if each minute were a year, as if he were living twenty years in those twenty minutes. And the crowds had broken the silence which had fallen upon them like a spell, and ribald jests, obscene remarks, terrible execrations, and vile practical jokes now proclaimed how efficacious is the example of public strangulation at last the public clock chimed the quarter past eight and more acute more agonizing grew the suspense of the earl of ellingham a thousand fears assailed him rainford might not have been able to use the silver tube or its imagined effect might have failed or the knot of the rope might have broken his neck again the sheriff might forget his promise and allow the convict to hang an hour according to the usual custom and even if all these fears were without foundation the physician might not be able to fulfil his expectations cruel cruel was the suspense appalling were the apprehensions endured by the young nobleman he looked at his watch it was seventeen minutes and a half past eight two minutes and a half more if the sheriff had not forgotten his promise but no he was even better than his word for scarcely had arthur returned the watch to his pocket when the sudden sensation again pervaded the multitude and several voices cried they're going to cut him down then came a dead silence intense heat ran like molten lead through the earl's veins and at the next moment he turned death-like cold as if plunged into an ice-bath if he had hitherto lived years in minutes he now seemed to exist whole centuries in moments all the fears which had previously struck him one by one now rushed in an aggregate crowd to his soul The next two minutes were all of fury and horror, fury in his brain, horror in his heart. But at last the gate of the jail opened, and a gruff voice exclaimed, "Now then!" The earl's three men servants hastened to range themselves near the door of the hearse, which one of them opened. And when the jail officials appeared bearing the coffin, these servants advanced a few paces to relieve them of their burden, and thrust it into the hearse, while Dr. Lascelles diverted the attention of the officials by distributing money amongst them. This proceeding, which had been prearranged by the earl and the physician with the three servants, was absolutely necessary, because Jacob Smith was concealed within the hearse. The affair having proceeded successfully thus far, the hearse moved away, and the five persons who acted as mourners entered the black coach which also drove off for the sake of appearances it was necessary that the vehicles should move slowly along until the outskirts of the multitude were entirely passed, and then when blackman street was reached the hearse and the black coach were driven along at a rate which is adopted by funeral processions Only when the obsequies are over. End of section fifty four. Recording by John Brandon.